PulpMX Network production. A cerebral and experienced look into the racing action from the week that was. This is Industry Seating with Jason Thomas. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Concept Coatings Design Co., Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas, and it is Wednesday, February 28th, and we are in between rounds of Arlington last weekend, and we're headed towards Daytona, and we'll cover what we saw this past weekend in Arlington, and a couple of notes on what we may see this weekend, seeing as though we're, we're halfway in between. Before we get too far into this, let's thank the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Concept Coatings Design Co., and there's a Concept 10 promo code associated with that, Works Connection, promo code JT23, Pro Glow Wash, TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them, and uh, yeah, save yourself some money using those promo codes at checkout. And Arlington came and went, and if you've never been to Arlington, it is one of the most impressive venues that you'll ever see. And, you know, as time goes on, they'll continue to build bigger and better. And just the way that, you know, the natural progression of things go, it's always going to be that way. But it's hard to top AT&T Stadium. It's, of course, home of the Dallas Cowboys. And if you know anything about their team and owner, yeah, they want to have the biggest and best. And everything's bigger in Texas and all, all the cliche things. But, yeah, it's, it's the most valuable sports franchise in the world. That's what most uh, experts have it. Uh, chalked up as and certainly the stadium is a part of that valuation but as far as racing I think it's one of the favorites you know the dirt is always kind of a question mark you don't know if you're going to get like rock hard slippery Dallas Arlington over the years or if this softer version although it did have a really hard base which made things really tricky but the topsoil was was soft and you saw ruts in the corners and ruddy rhythm section ruddy whoops uh, that's because the dirt was breaking down. Now, it made for a really difficult combo, right? The transition between the bottom, which was hard pack, as we talked about, and that softer dirt. You saw a lot of guys spinning up. And when I when I say spinning up, it's the rear tire trying to find traction. And guys are giving a handful because they think there's going to be tacky dirt there because that's what you're seeing. Your eyes are telling you that the dirt looks soft and tacky, but that base and some of the bottoms of the ruts was really hard. So you give it, you know, you kind of release the clutch aggressively, give it a handful of throttle thinking you're going to get maximum traction and your rear tire spins on really hard dirt. Well, that creates a lot of uncertainty for the rider. You'll see their body language kind of shift because they're expecting the motorcycle and the rear tire grip to do one thing and it does another. And that's where we saw a lot of mistakes and crashes and all sorts of things throughout the weekend too was that difference between what is expected and what actually happens. So tricky scenario there, but that's, that's part of racing. It makes things interesting. It may not be all that fun for the, for the riders, but um, yeah, we, we see those things at times, you know, it's uh, it's supposed to be hard, right? And I'm trying to find the balance between myself as a rider, because I would have been frustrated with that 
but also from the outside, you understand that these nuances are what create championships and make the series what it is and make it the most difficult championship in the world to win. So anyway, uh, 250 class, Hayden Deegan gets it done, right? First ever 250 Supercross win, which sounds crazy. I did not think that to be true when it was happening and I was hearing it and realizing it. I couldn't, I didn't necessarily remember it that way. You know, he was our uh, 250 SMX world champion. So to think that that was his first ever regular Supercross win, I was like, whoa, Nate, that, that is right. And remember that Nate Thrasher and Hunter won all the races last year for the most part. So Hayden was kind of iced out and he was still figuring things out at times, right? He didn't really catch fire until last summer and turn into the rider that we now know him as. But that was a big moment for him. Ghost rides the bike afterwards. I heard he got a warning. I figured he would get a small fine in which he would probably just shrug his shoulders and pay it. But uh, I heard that he just got a warning. And uh, I'm sure if he does it again, which I don't expect him to, uh, if he does it again, he will get fined. I think it was just one of those things where we knew it was coming. When he won, he was going to do it. And I thought he might do it in LA, but uh, it didn't happen. So um, this was his time. I, I think he exercise good judgment of not doing it over the finish line jump and, and doing it in a relatively safe area. Uh, it's always going to be a little bit dangerous, but um, yeah, I, I, I liked the AMA's restraint on as long as it wasn't intentionally dangerous, you got to have fun. Like we want this sport to be exciting and you want people to lean into the spectacle of it, trying, you know, finding people for doing everything. I mean, there, there's a price to pay for that. You know, the, the NF, look at the old NFL. They called it a no fun league because they find the players for everything. And now they let them get away with a lot. They, they let them do like have dances and do all it's, you know, as long as it's not disrespectful, I think it's fine. You know, the, the web flipping the finger is a different thing, right? Because I explained it to my bosses this way. And, and they asked me like, how would I approach this if I were coaching web or his team manager? And I'd say, okay, you know, your job is to win races and represent our brands, Yamaha, Monster, your own personal sponsors, Thor, whoever, Alpine Stars. That photo of you jumping the finish line is what everybody wants to use. They want to put it on the cover of magazines. They want to put it on every, uh, what we call a site skin for websites all week. They want to use social posts, all that stuff. That's what everybody would love to be able to use. And you just ruined that opportunity because you gave the finger and, and he claims it was an accident. I don't buy it for a second. It's my personal opinion. I really like Cooper Webb, but I don't buy that excuse for a second. I think he did it intentionally. I don't know if it was pointed towards Webb or pointed towards himself for kind of being frustrated with himself all day. It could be anybody. It doesn't matter. The, the fact is the gesture is offensive to most Americans and now they can't use that imagery to promote the win. And, and that's, that's a shame. That's really tough for sponsors to kind of square. And, and you just look at it and say, dude, don't be so selfish. Like it's, it's bigger than you, right? All of this is bigger than you. We're paying you and lots of people are paying you to be able to promote when you do well. And now we can't. So that's just kind of how I saw it. Um, got off track a little bit talking about web, but I'm glad they didn't find Deegan. Uh, I don't think it was, it was something that really needed to, to go after him for. Austin Forkner. Oh, he, he put out a social post just a few minutes ago. It's tough. Um, you hate to see the guy get hurt. He was on a roll and it's just a bummer across the board. Now, the one thing I would say, and you know, 
I don't, I'm sure his family and, and friends wouldn't like this comment, but I, I think that he made the wrong decision in the moment. And, and you could say, hey, you never were winning a race at this level. You don't know what it's like. It's fair. It's true. I, I get it. But I have won lots of races around the world, and I've been in high-pressure situations. And I've also been in many hundreds, if not thousands, of situations where things are going a little awry, and you have to make a split-second decision about whether you're going to hit the brakes and try to save it, or if you're just going to stay in it and try to ride the thing out. And I think in this case, Austin made the wrong choice because I watched riders all day long, whether it was Hunter Lawrence or take your pick. It, it didn't, you know, I, I saw a replay of him doing it, but there were many, many riders throughout the day and night that got that section wrong and had to f- go full breaks and just kind of bounce their way through, right? Like it wasn't pretty. There was no, it, it wasn't, certainly wasn't art what they were doing. They were just trying to stay upright. And instead of that, Austin chose to go for it and try to stay in the stay in the lead and save a big mistake. And when his hand blew off the handlebars, and that's what caused this wreck, right? He cased the tabletop, like the very top of it, clipped him forward. Well, that transition was nasty. It was really tall tabletop, and the drop from the top down into the face of the next jump was a really big impact. And when that happened, his hand left hand blew off the handlebars, and then he was simply a passenger. And what happens is, when his hand comes off, he can't push himself off the bars, right? Like you're holding yourself back from the handlebars. And when that compresses and rebounds back at you, that's a lot of force. And instead of his hands holding him back from the gas tank and the handlebars, like his chest, that's what normally would hold you back, right? You would sense that coming from a million laps and hold yourself back. Well, his hand comes off, he can't hold himself back. So the bike compresses, shoots back at him. And he just plows into it with his chest. And then that's where you see the ejection, right? So it, it happens really fast. But if you slow it down, he cases the tabletop, goes forward into the next jump. His hand comes off because of that, how much energy that was, right? His hand slips off. He goes forward into the tank, right? Because he's not holding himself up anymore. When his forks decompress off that jump, it just ejects him. Like think about like an F-14 Tomcat pulling the eject button. Like he just shoots off that thing because of how much energy that thing just pushed back through his body the other direction. Right. And I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining that, but that's really the dynamics and mechanics of what happens. That's exactly what goes on. And it just sucks. I've done it myself. Um, You know, the other nasty part of this is he lands on concrete kind of upside down uh, and as bad as it was, it could have been so much worse. It really could have. Um, but man, you just, in hindsight, you look back and say, ah, you, maybe you should have been willing to back out and take the loss of time there. It would have been a few seconds, right? But I think he would have been able to possibly save that if he just lands full brakes. He's like, I, di- I didn't get this right. I'm going to clip this. I've just got to go full brakes here and bounce through the next section. And that's what it would have been. It would have been bouncing. It would have looked ugly. He probably would have been front end high. Um, it wouldn't have looked pretty at all, but I think he had a chance to stay upright. So let's hope um, this injury doesn't keep him out an incredibly amount of incredible amount of time. Uh, because yeah, it, it was nice to have him back and, and being relevant. You know, being a real force in this 250 class. McAdoo, uh, I had a note here because I, I've been very impressed. You know, he's getting better. He's coming off an injury, and I think he's been better than really what has been talked about so far. Both of his heat races, he's won. 
And then he crashes in the first in Detroit, which we know all about for, for reasons that aren't really racing related. And then in uh, Arlington, he fought his way forward and ended up second after Forkner went down. So I, I think he's been underreported on an underrated performance so far. I think he's the fastest guy that is really not jumping off the screen as far as points go. So we'll see. We'll see what that turns into. But do not sleep on Cameron McAdoo because he's been really, really good. Quietly really good. Max Anstey has the red plate. That is incredible. Uh, six, two, or excuse me, two six finishes. I don't know that I've ever seen a red plate with two six finishes before. But here we are. That's what this class has been. First turn crashes. Guys, you know, DNFing their way out of the series. Been all over the map. So... Uh, for Max Anstey, soak it in. You know, maybe this might be the only time he ever has it in his career. Who knows? You know, I, there's nothing, nothing is ever guaranteed in this sport, especially at the top level. So, yeah, make the most of it, Max Anstey, and congratulations. One stat here is the last note uh, I have. The top four in Arlington were all on the ground in the first turn crash in Detroit. Think about that. The first four riders in the main event results in Arlington were all involved in that first turn crash in Detroit. So what does that mean? It gives us parity. It, it, the points are all mixed up. Uh, and there's just a lot of guys that are all kind of crunched in a, in a real tight space of points because they've been all over the place. Right. And then you take Forkner out of the equation. It makes it even more so because if Forkner goes one, one at the first two rounds, he has this gigantic points lead and it looks like he's going to run away with the thing. Uh, but yeah, he's out now. So it's a very different dynamic. And it's really, really tight between lots of riders. And D Daytona could mix things up even more, right? If we got some some variance in the results, what we think we see now could all flip back upside down again. So just something to keep in mind there. And on this podcast, if you didn't know, we do the power rankings. We do a one through 10 listing of who I think is where in the sport at the time. And I, you know, longtime listeners of this show will already know this, but I don't always use just week to week stuff. I'll use prior seasons. I'll use kind of trends, momentum, lots of different things. And it's, it's database, but it's also human. There's a human touch to it too. It's just my opinion at times as well uh, to kind of get it. So if you told me like, Hey, how did you come to that? I would have to explain it to you. I wouldn't point to the uh, uh, points or a result or something and say, this is where I got, the, you know, I, I would say there would be ver many different variables that I used to, uh, to answer that. So at number 10, I have Malcolm Stewart and, you know, he's finally showing signs of life. You know, that heat race was really what kind of did it for me. He showed he could go with the top guys and that's what I've been waiting on. I have not seen that really all year from him. So to show me that plus his results have gotten steadily better that's plenty, and uh, I don't think he deserves to be any higher than 10th. I think it's the perfect spot for him at the moment. You could argue that Justin Cooper should be in 10th, uh, and, and I would say maybe you're right, uh, but Mookie's heat race, for me, gets him into that 10th spot. Number nine is Hunter Lawrence, and that's two top fives in a row for Hunter, and that's that's notable. You know, it's he's not winning races. I get all that, but two top fives is in this class with this depth is a real accomplishment. So good job for Hunter. He looked a lot better. Uh, Plessinger was on the podium before we went live talking to Tomac about the race. And he was talking about how good Hunter was the last few laps. Like he, he really seemed to impress Plessinger with his fitness and intensity late in the race. So that was just me being a fly on the wall, listening to those guys. 
But um, yeah, it was high praise for, for Hunter Lawrence from Aaron Plessinger there. Number eight, Dylan Ferrandis. And yeah, this was not a good race. I think he DNF'd, but uh, yeah, crash, bike issues. I think his handlebars were loose, somebody said. But he's been good all year, so I'm not going to take one race and decide that he, you know, everything is now lost. That That is not the truth at all. It's not how I see it whatsoever. Um, but, I, you know, if this wasn't a good one, I'll move along. But I think he deserves to still stay in eighth. He gets a mulligan, and we'll see what Daytona brings for him. And remember, Daytona was his last race of the Supercross Series last year. So uh, I don't think it will be again, but just keep that in mind. Number seven is Jason Anderson. Not a great race. Tenth place in the main event. I think he went down early on, but it just wasn't a, it wasn't a you know, ideal race for him. The heat race was pretty good. I'll give that to him. But other than that, he was kind of a non-factor in the main event. Um, I don't even remember seeing him so much. You know, there was so much going on with Tomac and uh, AP in third for a while, and obviously Jet and Webb at the front. There, there was a lot to, to watch, and I just wasn't really paying attention to Anderson. And I looked up, and he was 10th. So he's been good this year. He'll stay in seventh. I don't, I don't see any reason why I would move him out of seventh. But he did get passed by Aaron Plessinger to sixth. So that's something. You know, if you were wondering on – because I for the last few weeks, I've had AP and Anderson kind of tied, like at six and a half. And AP deserves to be higher. He gets a podium. He was in the fight. Uh, he even came back at Tomac a little bit there late. He was really trying. And I think he deserves to be six. And, and to be real honest with you, he probably deserves to be higher. But when you look at the guys in front of him, what? how do you put him higher? You, you really can't. And what I mean by that is number five is Ken Roxon. And Kenny has a win. He won in Glendale. Everybody was talking about him. And then we go to uh, Arlington, and, and he has a tough race. And if you look at historically for, for Arlington and Roxon, it's been challenging at times. Um, he's had his heart broken there by Cooper Webb. And this just was not a good race for Kenny. You know, he, he made mention after the, after the weekend that he just felt tired. He, he overdid it throughout the week. And that happens to guys. I've seen it, you know, I've seen it a lot. I've done it to myself because you get some momentum and you just want to try harder, right? You want to put more work in and feed off of all that good energy. Like that's, that's a natural thing. But sometimes you have to just check yourself and be like, okay, I'm in, the, I'm in a sweet spot. I don't want to overdo it. And I don't want to go into Saturday low on energy because, you know, there's a routine that these guys typically do during the week to be their best self on Saturday. And that's, that's a point that I don't hear talked about enough. And I want to find a way to talk about that on the broadcast. Maybe not at Daytona because I know our show is going to be really tight. But sometime soon, the goal for every racer, no matter what, no matter what the scenario is, is to be your strongest on Saturday, right? To be the fastest guy on Wednesday or Thursday or Monday doesn't doesn't do a lot. You know, maybe you get somebody talking about it on a show or a, a social media post or something, great, but you, that's not how you pay your bills. That's not why teams hire you. Teams hire you to be your best self on Saturday and every effort that you can put in to make sure that you are your strongest, most rested, most prepared self on Saturday should be taken. And in that thought process, Ken Roxon did too much work, which left him tired and flat. And when I say flat, that's a, a term that racers of lots of sports use. It's they, you know, their, their heart rate is too high, which means they're tired, right? Which also makes it hard for them to find intensity in their riding. And I don't know the science of it to explain it to you, 
but that's the basics, right? And, and pro athletes, racers, by anybody that's a pro athlete will typically use a heart rate monitor, like their resting heart rate, right? When they wake up as their barometer for how tired they are. And they could use, they could do blood tests. They could do lots of other things too. I'm sure some guys are super advanced with it, but the most basic method is using a heart rate monitor and say your base heart rate, your resting heart rate is 40. Okay. And that's pretty low. It's not world-class low. Like I've been lower than that. Um, I think I, the lowest I ever got was like 38 or something. Um, that was a anomaly. Usually I was around that 40 ish. Um, but you think about like the best athletes of all time, they were like low thirties, you know, like tour de France athletes, low thirties. I heard Lance Armstrong got down to like 29 one time, which is just ridiculous. And think about that. Every two seconds, your heart beats once. That's crazy. That is really, really slow. And all that means is that your heart is incredibly efficient, right? The amount of blood that your heart can pump to facilitate the rest of your body is higher than everybody else. That's why it's only doing it once every two seconds, right? And, and as that ratio goes up, then that's just less or more efficient, right? The higher your heart rate resting, the less efficient your heart is and the more times it needs to pump per minute to get the necessary blood to the rest of your body. Um, I don't know how we got into this conversation, but there's a point to it. So Kenny probably woke up and his heart rate was too high because he had done too much work throughout the week. That leads to a difficulty in finding intensity because your body's a little bit more tired and he felt flat all day and he just couldn't find that burst of speed and uh, intensity that is so commonly found by him. Like he's usually able to, to, you know, snap his fingers and find it. It's usually on tap for him and he couldn't harness it this weekend. And any, that's what he attributed to is just, he got excited after Glendale put in too much work and his body was still recovering when it should have been back to full peak readiness again. And that's the, that's the thing. That's the point I'm trying to make is your goal as a racer always is to be your best self on Saturday. However you have to get there, whatever your routine is, Whatever you've learned about yourself, be that guy on Saturday. And, and Kenny just wasn't that guy. So I think you'll see a better Ken Roxon on Saturday. He'll probably back it down a little bit this week and, and take it. I don't want, you don't want to say take it easy. He's still going to do work, but maybe just not quite as much like the volume. And he'll make damn sure to rest a lot, say Thursday and Friday. Number four, Eli Tomac. And I wrote, is Eli Tomac back? Question mark. I think that's the only question we need to ask, you know, because if he is, then it's on. 13 points is not a lot. He can make that up quickly. He saying he was back means he will win or at bare minimum be on the podium at Daytona. I don't know what the people around him will do, but he should be able to build from that performance in Arlington. Now, if he's not back, then we'll see weird rides, some you know, just mediocrity in his results. You know, he'll throw in an eighth here, a fourth there. He'll have a really good race again like he did in Arlington, but it won't be consistent. And that that's the question. That's what Steve Mathis and I have been arguing about. You know, is Steve is of the mindset that it's going to be inconsistent. Like, yes, Arlington was great, but in two or three weeks, we'll see him get ninth again, and he won't know why. He'll struggle with intensity. He'll struggle with the bike. He'll struggle with arm pump. He'll struggle with something that will – force him to turn in a bad result. And that is a killer as the series grows long. You know, those last few races are so pivotal to make sure that you're near the podium every single time if you want to win the title. So it's a big weekend. Um, 
I talked to Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart and a bunch of people this week, and, and they all agree this weekend is really important, and he has a lot of pressure on him because everybody expects him to be back now. And he has to follow that up with a really strong result. Like, everybody's looking at him to win this weekend. That That's, you know, in the end, that's what they're expecting. Now, I have tempered my expect- expectations a little. You know, I think if as long as he's on the podium, it's okay. Uh, but I think most people are expecting him to go win. And, and if he doesn't, they'll look at that as a failure. I, I don't see it that way, but I, I think that's what he feels the pressure of. Number three, Chase Sexton. And Sexton slips to number three for the first time in a very long time. Uh, I just felt like he deserved to stay up there after his title last year, his 22 outdoor season. He was the second best guy in promoter cross last year. I just thought he should be two for a very long time. And I finally pushed him to three because of the hand injury, because he hasn't looked like the same guy he was last year. And, you know, it's not a points thing necessarily. I just felt like it was warranted for right now. And he could easily get back to two. When you're at two for that long, it wouldn't take me much to get him back there. But I think it's fair to put him at three for now. Number two is Cooper Webb. And he deserves this. He's gotten better and better. The improvement that he made from last summer to now is no joke. Look at his results last summer. You look at his SMX playoff results and speed. You look at his November race in Paris. And then you contrast that with now. He's like a completely different guy. So good job to Cooper Webb. He wins Arlington. You could say that Jet gave him a gift. Whatever. Fine. But I can also promise you that Jet doesn't make that mistake unless Cooper is, is pressuring there, like sitting there with three seconds back. That forced Jet to keep the intensity up, right? He had to stay on the edge. Because Webb was just lurking back there. And he knew it was back there. He knows who Cooper Webb is, like as far as a late race guy. He knows the storyline. He knows the script when it comes to to Cooper Webb. So Jet wasn't going to let him get close. And to not let him get close, you've got to take chances. You know, not right over your head per se, but you've got to take chances. And that's where the mistake came in. So good job, Cooper Webb, getting up to second. And number one, of course, is Jet. Why would he not be? He's still your points leader. You know, you, you could say he was the fastest guy. In Arlington, I don't know if he was or not. You know, it'd be arguable between he and Tomac probably. But uh, he's still got the points lead. You know, he got he crashes twice, still gets fourth, and still holds a points lead. Like, that's a pretty strong statement to make for Jet. And I think he's learning from all this. You know, he was really frustrated with himself after that main event. But this frustration and these lessons, he's learning. Like he's learning as we go. And that's a dangerous thing for all these guys around him because I, I do think he is a quick learner. I don't think you'll see repeat mistakes time and time and time again from him. Um, you know, each, each of these scenarios is a little bit new. And I think he's figuring them out. He's figuring out how to win at this level. He's how to hold guys like Cooper Webb at bay because, yeah, in the past he had to hold Kitchen and take your pick you know, RJ and these guys that are great riders, but they're not Cooper Webb. They're not Eli Tomac. He's learning how to handle these guys the way he learned how to handle them. So that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it's great racing. Like if you're not enjoying the series this year, then it might be time to look into bowling or, or something else. Um, we're getting fantastic racing in both classes. And uh, yeah, we're blessed. I, I've been around this series for a long time and there are many years when the race is boring as hell. One guy dominates, you know what's going to happen before the gate drops, and uh, that hurts. That hurts 
the excitement of the sport. And we are so far from that right now. It's amazing. Thank you again to all the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Concept Coatings Design Co. Check out that uh, promo code CONCEPT10, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for being a part of this podcast. And if you ever have questions on any of the sponsors, a promo code, we could probably create one, or just how to get in touch with them to do business with them, let me know, and I can certainly help you. Thank you again. We will talk to you after Daytona. Have a great weekend. See you.